This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. All right, before we get into the podcast, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, we're going to do our Rockets Rewind series today. And we're today's game, we're going to do December 1st, 2016, Rockets at Warriors. First real game, the Rockets really challenges the Warriors. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. All right, let's get into it. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Like News Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Adam Sporlane of Sports Radio 610. How you doing, man? I'm all right. You know, hanging in as much as anyone can. Yeah, I mean, this quarantine period the past few days, it's really starting to hit me. I'm starting to get stir crazy. I, I need some sports. I need some sports. I need some basketball. Like I, I need to get the hell out of this house. Internally you feel like you're in the you're in the home stretch, but you know this thing is far from over. I I remember we were at practice, I guess it was two and a half weeks ago, and I really haven't had any human contact with anyone ever since. Uh, and yeah, we're we're still in the very early stages of this. I mean, Trump went ahead and said it's not going to be until April 30th at the earliest. So yeah, this is uh, buckle up because we got a long way to go. Well, you're telling me we're not getting out an Easter? Is that is that what's going on here? An Easter does not appear to be likely at this point. <laughs> By the way, like we're doing this series, right? We're doing the Rockets Rockets Rewind series. They really need to make these games available like in one catalog, like in one lab, library, like a Netflix type thing, like the way uh, professional wrestling does it. Like the fact that you go on League Pass and like 1% of all their playoff games are available, like that to me is like, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, that's where you get into, I mean, you would like for them to have more up. Uh, I've downloaded a bunch of them. Uh, I've been doing a, a series on on Rockets playoff games from '95, um, and they have a decent amount of them. They had a decent amount of them up, and then a bunch of them were just taken down. So, uh, if, you know, you would hope the NBA would do something about it at, at some point. But you know, we have what we have at this point. The NFL and Major League Baseball actually do a really good job. Uh, the NFL, I believe, has all their games from from the last decade. Major League Baseball. Uh, with the same thing. So, yeah, I'm not sure why the NBA has lagged behind in this. Yeah, it's like if there was a, if there was a service available where all the playoff games, all the important regular season games were put onto this database and you had to pay like what, like $10 a month? How many subscribers would they get? 1 million? 2 million? At least, right? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not even going to quantify it. Um $10 a month is a bit steep for that sort of a thing. I mean, you're talking about Netflix type money for for a sports deal, which I don't think I would even pay that. I think I would pay it in a second. I mean, because you're talking about a massive catalog. You're not just talking about like like just key playoff games like they have it now on League Pass. You're talking about everything. I get it, but at the same time, you can already get a lot of them for free, and you're talking about games that have already been played, and you're talking about paying $120 a year for that. I don't think a lot of people would be down with that. Well, at the very least, they need to incorporate it with their current League Pass system. Because, that would help. Yeah. And they do have some classic games up. but And again, some of it is just bandwidth. And, I mean, that's an incredible amount of, of space that you have, to, you have to have. And, you know, I, I don't know if they want to spend the money on that, at least right now. So, I mean, you'd have to talk to the league about that. 
Um, you'd have to figure out the feasibility of it. I, I know it sounds easy on paper, but I don't know how easy it is to actually execute. Well, here's the thing. Professional wrestling had this thing figured out in 2014. Like, I feel like the NBA can catch up to that standard. I mean, like, at the very least, the current league pass product, like, the fact that in 2020, all the game, you can't get all the games in HD quality, like, that to me is beyond ridiculous. Like, and the fact that League Pass is, is as laggy as it is now, the service is not great, and, you know, obviously, we're complaining about the classic games, but even just their general League Pass service, I feel like the NBA needs to put a lot more work in that. Yeah, I agree. There's not a whole lot more to say. I mean, yeah, it, it's not as good as it should be, that's for sure, especially when you consider what they charge for it. And they should be looking to, to be better and give fans a better product, especially now. I mean, there's nothing else to do, so they might as well work on this. For sure. And I, I by the way, I do appreciate that the league made League Pass available for free for everybody because that is helping a lot, right? Everybody's getting their sports fix in through this uh, league pass app and all these classic games. But yeah, um, let's talk about, let's talk about this Rockets team because I, before we get into this game, by the way, we are doing the December 1st, 2016 game Rockets Warriors that went into double overtime today. And before we get into this game, I want to talk specifically about this specific Rockets team because this Rockets team was fun. This was the summer where they hired Mike D'Antoni, they signed Eric Gordon, they signed Ryan Anderson, and then they signed Nene. And I remember at the time, all those contracts, except for Nene, all those contracts were made fun of because they were re- really, really expensive deals. And it was it was the summer of 2016. Everybody was signing bad deals. But eventually, I mean, you look back at it, these contracts were actually like relative to the other contracts signed pretty damn good but the Rockets got pretty good value out of Anderson and Gordon well no they didn't get good value on Anderson I mean Anderson was like every other guy that was signed that summer and he was a big disappointment the Gordon turns out to be one of the best contracts that was signed in that whole in that whole summer I mean when you look at the money when you look at what they got for it the fact that he signed a second deal with them I believe he's the only guy He's the only guy off the top of my head that actually signed a second deal with the team. You look at Al Horford, he didn't. Kevin Durant didn't. Then you had the big disappointments like Baysmore and Chandler Parsons and Evan Turner and all. And you can just go up and down the list. I mean, Gordon was a massive, massive deal um, just the way that it turned out. I mean, Anderson got paid $80 million, and they were they did everything they could to get off of it. Uh, they, were, they, did every, they tried to do everything they could to get off of it after the first year, and, and then they finally did after the second year. So, I mean, the Anderson deal was a disappointment, like a lot of those other deals that were signed, uh, but the Gordon deal was a huge success. Well, I disagree about the Anderson deal because this guy was starting for about a season and a half for you. And if you can get a season and a half off of any of those start of those 2016 contracts to start for you, like, I think that's pretty good. And, and, and that first season specifically was really good. Like, it, he Ryan Anderson signing helped pull Houston out of what could have been a dark age period because they were coming off this this 41 and 41 season where they got bounced in the first round like the rockets had a terrible reputation and they made these signings and they hired Mike D'Antoni and everybody was talking about going into the season this team is going to be an absolute laughing stock on defense they're going to they're going to be terrible and therefore they're probably going to win like what 40 something games and people were talking about the rockets as if they were going to be this this kind of a joke and they came into the season with pretty much no pressure and I thought you know going back to the Anderson thing like I, I thought the contract was okay and when you look back at some of those other deals I mean you're looking at Joakim Noah you're looking at like some of the, the, the deals that Portland signed that's that summer there were some really bad bad contracts and when you look back at what the Rockets did that summer I thought they did I thought you they used their cap space fine I like get on the whole you sure you would have you would have preferred if they could have got Ryan Anderson at a steep at a cheaper and shorter term deal, but I, I I thought it was relatively okay, and I thought if the price for getting yourself out of what could have been a really bad period for the Rockets was pay, overpaying this one guy, I thought that was okay. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to harp on it too much, but the fact that they basically they couldn't even salary dump him after two years, and he was basically unplayable in year two. I mean, that's a, that's a bad deal. It, it was a bad contract. Um, I, I think that they would tell you that if they had to do it over again, they probably wouldn't have done it. They probably would have just let that cap space sit. Um, but he, he fit a need, 
and he was he was pretty good for that first year. I mean, he he was what was advertised. Uh, he shot the ball well that first year. It's just that all the negatives that came with him, uh, you know, those became exacerbated once he got to the playoffs. Um, he got hurt uh, towards the end of that first season. He wasn't very good in the playoffs that first year, and he got hurt again the second year. And he just never could get back to what he needed to be. Um, I, I think that they would probably say, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that deal. And they they would have been in a different situation. But, I mean, again, Gordon erases everything. And Gordon erases all the, the negatives that come with the Anderson contract because they got such a great value out of, out of him. And, and even Nene. Nene was very good for them, too, uh, while he was healthy. And I'm glad that you, you mentioned kind of what it was like going into that season just because I really thought that that could have been the end of, of the Harden era in Houston. When you look at how the 15-16 season ended, where they're 41 and 41, Mikhail gets fired. They had the long coaching search um, with that ends up in Mike D'Antoni, which people panned. I mean, I was one of the few people that, that really liked the hire. Uh, but then Harden was two years away from free agency. And it kind of felt like he was going to go to the Lakers. Lakers had the cap space. They had the assets to make a trade work. I think I even said the, the Rockets should at least explore a deal with the Lakers because it just seemed like they were going in the wrong direction. Uh, things were not headed in the right way. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to – there just weren't a whole lot of positives. And they couldn't get a meeting with Durant. They missed out on, on Horford. They missed you – know, Bazemore chose the Hawks and took less money to go to the Hawks. Uh, so they were in a bad spot. And this was the game, as we get to it, this was the game where the D'Antoni era really seemed like that this was going to be a real thing and this was going to be something that could end in, in something positive. But, and then the big thing that happened with them is that when they – and you know I was gone for this, but um, when they announced the signings of Anderson and Gordon, right after it, they had James Harden up there and they announced an extension with him. So that put to, that put to bed any thoughts of, of Harden being traded. That put to bed any thoughts of, of them possibly you – know, of, of the Harden era ending. And that was a big step for the organization where Harden said, you know, this is my team. I'm going to be here for the long haul. I don't think people remember how much crap Leslie Alexander caught that summer because the narrative was quickly forming that that Daryl Morey wanted to hire another coach, perhaps a defensive-minded coach like Jeff N. Gundy, and you know Les pushed for this hire, which I do think happened. To be honest, I think Les really wanted Mike, and you know if you go back through the history, the archives, you'll find articles from 2006 where you know Leslie Alexander really, really wanted to hire Mike D'Antoni, but. You know, that press conference in particular, Les starts that press conference basically addressing haters. Like, like I remember he, he, he starts like for any of the doubters out there, like that, that was a, that was a specific phrase he used in that press conference because a lot of people thought that the Rockets made a bunch of missteps that summer and it all worked out to be a really fun team. And that's kind of what I want to get back to, you know, for this game, like this team in particular, you know, they went into the season with no pressure. Nobody really thought that they were going to compete for anything, much less a championship. And, you know, they, they kept pressing that, oh yeah, we're nothing's changed. We're still competing for a champion. We're still this tier of a team. And they came out, I mean, I had them winning 50 games. They won 55 games. You know, this team, the team just fit together perfectly. For, uh, relative to last year, the team just made sense. Offensively, you knew what they were. Defensively, they were mediocre, but they weren't making any qualms about what they were defensively. And offensively, that identity helped them so much. They they were still shooting a bunch of threes, but unlike most of the Rockets' season, they're actually sh- hitting them at a pretty good clip. They were like top 10 in three-point percentage that season. And that rounds back around to this game. You talked about this game being kind of the peak of Mike D'Antoni or like the peak of uh, what the Rockets wanted to do with Mike D'Antoni. This is also... I thought the start of their rivalry with the Warriors, you know, and people would talk about, you know, that those two playoff series they played against the Warriors beforehand. I never really thought the Rockets had a chance in any of those those playoff series. I thought up until this point, the Rockets were on a completely different tier from the Warriors. Like the the Rock, the, the Warriors were just on a different level, a different playing field. This was the first time I, I saw the Rockets make the Warriors sweat. And I thought this was, if you want to trace back the Rockets-Warriors rivalry, I think it starts with this game. Um, I, I don't agree. I, I do think that there was, there were. I, I don't know if it was a rivalry, but you go back to even the Mark Jackson days with the Warriors, they did not like each other. There was the whole, uh, 
you know, Mark Jackson and fouling guys when the Rockets were trying to break the three-point record. Uh, there was some bad blood there. Um, there was bad blood uh, during the, the two playoff seasons. You know, there was the, uh, I think it was Harden saying that the Warriors weren't that good uh, at one point during the 2014-2015 season. Uh, and while the Rockets w- win this game, they still weren't ever com- uh, close to beating the Warriors at any point. I mean, they, they were never, if those two teams would have played that season, the Rockets would have won that series. That Warriors team was just too good. Um, and in fact, they lost the next three meetings after that. But this was the first time where I think the, the Warriors actually, you could see the Rockets headed in the right direction for the first time in what seemed like a, in what seemed like a, a while. Uh, because obviously 15-16 was a disaster, and they picked up the pieces from that really well. I think that's what was most impressive, and you could see this game that Mike D'Antoni had unlocked something, and the last coaching staff really hadn't figured out how to do that. I remember what game you're talking about. You're talking about the, the, the game where they were about to break the three-point record and Mark Jackson was basically being a tool and started fouling. You're talking about that game, right? Yes. So when Steve Kerr was hired, I thought that's when that specific – like I, I think there's a point of distinction between that that Warriors team and, and that Warriors team after Steve Kerr was hired. Does that make sense? Well, just remember, so in 13, 2013 – the Warriors finished sixth in the West. The Rockets were eighth. 2014, the Rockets were fourth in the West. The Warriors were sixth again. And then obviously 15, when Kerr shows up, that's when that's when they were first. And the Rockets finished second. So, I mean, they were always like right next to each other in the standings in the Western Conference up until and really, really the only the only year where that wasn't the case was 15-16 when the Warriors were first and the Rockets were eighth. So they were always seemingly right next to each other. Um, they competed. You know, the, the, the games were always spirited. I mean, there were... They, they did not like each other. Um, I, I think it was uh, Andrew Bogut had a had a tweet where there was a, a a specific word, like almost like an acrostic, where a specific word was spelled out in the tweet that did not go well. I, they did not like each other. And in the Rockets, I never thought they took the Warriors all that seriously in fourteen fifteen. Uh, they lost a game early in the year um, at Toyota Center when Dwight Howard was hurt, and. At one point, I can't remember what the game was, but uh, James Harden, as they're getting in the huddle to go out on the floor, James Harden said they're not that good, and then the Rockets got got blown out in that game. Uh, so I, I do think that there was always a rivalry there, It, goes, it but it just goes back a long time. Yeah, well, it certainly never felt like one in 2015-16. I'll put it that way. Like, like no, Well, the Rockets were a disaster in 15-16. Right, yeah. And, and, like, I just felt like when Steve Kerr was hired, like, I, I never felt like the Rockets were on the same playing field. And I, I, uh, this game really made me feel like, okay, they're starting to get their their stuff together, and they're starting to actually look like a team that could potentially challenge the Warriors down the line. I don't think even in this season I, I, I thought the Rockets were on the same playing field as the Warriors, but I thought they looked closer to them than they ever had before. And obviously the next season that gets even accelerated when they trade for Chris Paul. But yeah, let's talk. Well, I will say real quick, I, and I, I will say, I thought the 15 Western Conference Finals, the two teams were close. Uh, because you look, uh, even though that was a five-game series, the Rockets could have very easily won games one or game two in Oakland. And, and then they obviously they won game four. So, you know, maybe that's a 2-2 series going back to Oakland. Uh, obviously, you're you're assuming a lot there, but go back and watch games one and two. Of no, that I, I remember because yeah. th- they were those two games were played at a very high level, and the Rockets could have easily won both of them, and, and they had a shot to win the second one. No, I remember, and I still even if the like even if the Rockets won those two games, like I, I really again I, that that Warriors team won sixty seven games, that Rockets team won fifty six. Right, like I thought, the Warriors were still on a different playing field, and, I, and even if that series goes starts off, you know, one zero or one one, like I, I, first of all, I, I don't think the series would have started off two 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 zero with the in the Rockets' favor. I thought if the, if the Rockets won Game One, the Warriors would have shifted their focus and destroyed them in the next few games. Like I thought, I still, and I, I know I realized Patrick Beverly and Donatus Monyunis were injured for that series. I still never viewed the Rockets as a serious threat to the Warriors that 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 season, and up until. You know the se- the season they traded for Chris Paul. I never felt like they could actually beat them, but yeah, um, going back to this game, and this was basically peak Warriors. They just won seventy three games the season prior. Steph Cur- Steph Curry just won back to back MVPs. Uh, they just signed Kevin Durant, and they won out. They went on to win sixty seven games this season and win the title. Like they were just a rolling death machine. 
this was the best Warriors team of the five. Um, it was, you still had Andre Iguodala playing at a really high level. Um, Sean Livingston was still really good. And, and then you had the first year with Durant where they were locked in really seemingly every night. So for me, this was the best of the teams. This is the best of the five. I agree. Everyone was happy and like, they liked each other. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like this was the like when once Kevin Durant was signed. Like I don't think anybody in their right mind thought any other team than the Warriors would win the title that season. Like this was the first the first year where it felt like an inevitability. Like the seventy three win season kind of felt like an inevitability, but there were teams that were relatively championship contender-ish. This season, I never felt like there was a team that was on the Warriors level. I never I, I never even thought the Cavs were even close to the Warriors. I, th- I thought this this team in particular was just way, way ahead of everybody else. And once once they, you know, once they traded Andrew Bogut, made the cap space to sign Kevin Durant, like everybody knew it was over. Like it was like the, the championship race at that point was a foregone conclusion. It was just a matter of how and how many games and stuff like that. Well, and remember, they were 15-0 and to start that postseason. And if they win game four uh, in Cleveland, they sweep through the playoffs, which had never been done before. And it was kind of unfortunate that they didn't win that game because that would be – you can certainly argue that that's the best team of all time. If they could have gone 16-0 and in the playoffs after winning 67 games in the regular season, you go through that roster and you have all those guys. Now, you probably wouldn't rank it ahead of a 72-win Chicago Bulls team, but you could probably put that right at number two. To go 16-0 and in the playoffs is – really impressive especially when you consider that they would have beaten a cleveland team with lebron james and Kyrie Irving and kevin love in the finals and swept right through them that team was just really really good no it, it was i mean it, there was no answer for them like and on both ends of the floor they were just so complete like this was the first team that could capably switch one through five and not be made fun of like the switching was not a common defense at the time up until the Warriors started doing it if you have the personnel to do it people quickly figured out it was probably the 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 defense that left the the least weak links and the Warriors did it so well on offense they were they had this beautiful motion offense they had Zaza Pachulia up on top doing split cuts with you know a cutting Steph Curry a cutting Andre Iguodala a cutting whoever Kevin Durant just fit in really well in that Harrison Barnes times 17 role uh, as that wingman. That That's what made that team break your brain. Even if you could cover you know, the beautiful Warriors offense, at the end of the day, they could still beat you one-on-one because they had possibly the greatest one-on-one player in NBA history. Yeah, and you can't defend him. I mean, you just say, I don't care who you decide to put on him. You really, there's no way to defend him. So, yeah, um, he... He was essentially a cheat code for those guys. I mean, it's 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 that simple. And the fact that they they probably should have won all three championships with him. And if he doesn't get hurt, they probably do. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partners to us hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, all caps. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So let's talk about this game. So... Going back to what the Rockets did in the offseason, one thing the Rockets did was they that was essential to their success this season was they made James Harden the point guard on offense. And that led to some of the most ridiculous stat lines I've ever seen from a player uh, this season from Harden. Like this game, he put up 29 points, 15 rebounds, 13 assists, two steals and one block. And that wasn't even one of his top 15 games that season. Like he had so many better games that season. Like he didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, but he was passing so well that it didn't matter. Like he shot eight of twenty-three from the from the field. Uh, he played nearly forty-six minutes, but again, this was a double overtime game, so everybody played a lot of minutes. Yeah, I mean, this game in particular, like, like I never felt like one of these two teams had an edge. Like, th- like there was never a, a point in the game where like one team was leading like crazy. Like in the third quarter, the Rockets had a double-digit lead, but other than that, it was pretty much back and forth from buzzer to buzzer. I really think this might have been James Harden's best year. Um, you, you look at that five-year run that he just went on 
Uh, he won the one MVP of the year after. Could have won the MVP last year where he scored 36, 37 points a game. But I thought with the efficiency and when you consider that there really wasn't anyone else next to him. Uh, you had Patrick Beverly and Gordon, but other than that, it, it wasn't a, a real talented team. There wasn't really that number two like he's had with Chris Paul, like he's had with Russell Westbrook this year. I thought this was his best year. I just thought he was brilliant. He bought into what Mike D'Antoni was doing immediately. And you saw the results. I mean, the results were, that was, they were special. And that's the, that's the one MVP that he didn't win that he really should have won. And he should have, that, that should have been his MVP that year. And obviously he got hurt by the triple double thing with Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, what what stood out to you from this game in particular? Because we had just talked about how it was just so competitive back and forth. And there there was only one point where one team had a double digit lead, and that er- erased in like two minutes. Like, what in particular, going back and watching this game, like stood out to you? Eric Gordon. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that was really his coming out party, where they kind of figured out his role. Because remember, he that season um, he was starting. At the first start, at the first part of the year, and it was Patrick Beverly coming off the bench, and then Mike D'Antoni went with Beverly and had Gordon come off the bench, and that really unlocked him. And Gordon, I've written about this and talked about this in the past. People forget how good Eric Gordon was supposed to be. Um, this was a guy. You look at the uh, the 2007 high school recruiting class. This might be the best recruiting class that there's ever been where you have Derrick Rose and Gordon and Harden and Kevin Love's in that class and Michael Beasley's in that class. Blake Griffin. Yeah. Yeah, Blake. I mean, you just go on and on and on. And Gordon was the best recruit out of all those guys. I mean, he was, and I was at Indiana when he, when he committed, that was probably the biggest, that's the biggest recruit that Indiana's gotten maybe ever. Um, that's, that's how big it was. And he was good in college, but he got hurt. Uh, he hurt his wrist kind of midway through his freshman year. And then that team had the Kelvin Sampson thing where he got fired and, and then they didn't end the year well. He gets drafted, I think he was seventh or eighth to the Clippers, and then he, he just has these weird freak injuries uh, that he had with the Clippers, and then he had them again with with uh, New Orleans. And so you never really saw how good he was supposed to be. And then when he, he showed up to the Rockets and he's put in this perfect system, he's healthy, and he really showed off just how good he was supposed to be and how good that he could actually be. And obviously, he won sixth man of the year, and you know he showed that he could carry an offense if he needed to. And you really saw that in this game where he's playing against the best team in the league, and he was right there with everyone else. I mean, he belonged on that floor. He belonged, and I just thought he was great. I thought that that's probably the game where you say, you know what, this Gordon signing is really, really good. It's really going to work out. It made that contract look like a bargain. I mean, going back to it, it was a bargain. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it absolutely was a bargain. When you consider that, and we talked about this at the top, just how much uh, the, the guys in that class have just flamed out. I mean, they're really, I mean, you look at it, Durant was obviously a great signing just because of how good he is. Uh, and Horford was a really good signing, but none of those guys went back for a second contract. And then almost everyone else who signed that offseason was a complete disaster. And so they were one of the few teams that actually got something out of that class. And he was great. I mean, he thought out was great. I mean, he had 23 points, five assists, nine and 19 from the from the field, and four of nine from three point range. Like he was really, really freaking good. And like, I don't even think this was like his best season for the Rockets. I thought the next year he looked even more explosive, like just driving to the rim. Like he looked really good that year. They, they had Chris Paul, and like I, I thought in this season, like it it really, you know, going back to you talk about his injuries and stuff. Like people forget this guy was the central piece in a Chris Paul trade. Like and people thought that the Clippers were getting fair value. Not the Clippers. The New Orleans was, was getting pretty fair value back for Chris Paul because they were getting this this piece in Eric Gordon. Like some of the games that Eric Gordon had for the Clippers. Like I know, like that time with the Clippers wasn't great because of the injuries, but he had some. He had a bunch of thirty point games for the Clippers that people just forget. Yeah, you know, I I asked him about this um, going into that second year with the Rockets when they did get Chris Paul. And that was really the first time where he had an offseason where he was healthy, where he wasn't having to rehab from some injury during the offseason. So he really got to work on his game as opposed to, you know, having a rehab from something else. So he was able to build on the way that he finished that season. And I think that that helped him immensely. And it was a big reason why that team was so good is because they had a healthy Eric Gordon the season before. And so he was built up and, 
I think that people underestimate just how important that is. You know, when you go to an off season and you can just work on your game and getting better as opposed to having to rehab from something to where you're not improving your game at all, you're just trying to get back to where you were as opposed to building off of what you already are. No, and it, it, they don't win this game without Eric Gordon, and that's that seems like an obvious statement. But he was just so clutch; like the, the the shots he was hitting were so timely, especially in overtime. The overtime period, like the Rockets don't get to double overtime if, if Eric Gordon doesn't hit that three off the assist from Sam Decker. Like he he was so poignant in those in those final crunch crunch time minutes, and there was like it became pretty crystal clear that the Rockets could not play crunch time offense without Eric Gordon on the floor. Like every like from that game on, like the Rockets just never played a crunch time without Eric Gordon on the floor. Like he was, he became one of their most important players. And, you know, not just this game, you can go on several games against the Warriors. He's always on the floor in the final minutes. And that's because of what he, like what he is as a talent and what he is as a floor spacer. You mentioned Eric Gordon sticking out to you from this game. Uh, Ryan Anderson actually stuck out to me for this game. Uh, This was peak Ryan Anderson. Uh, and, And like maybe even as a player, like he had 29 points, Nine of seventeen from the field, five of ten from three point range. Like this might have been his best game in a Rockets jersey. He had a step back three that he made after pump faking Kevin Durant. Like that's not James. Like that's, that's I'm talking about Ryan Anderson. He pump faked Kevin Durant, drove pot, drove by him, then made a step back three. Like th- that's the kind of shots he was hitting in this game. I mean, he's six foot ten. I mean, in a sense, he's a little bit like Durant in that he can get his shot up over anyone. And you know, this is a guy who. He was big, and he can shoot, and he had range, and he would shoot from five feet behind the three-point line. I mean, there was a reason why they signed him. Uh, early on, it looked like it was going to be a really good signing because of games like this, and he was able to stay on the floor in crunch time and hold up against the Warriors when the Warriors were attacking him um, every chance that they could. Uh, so this was an impressive game for him. I, I do think it's, this is probably his best game, or at least his most important game as a Rocket, where um, he made shots. And he proved that he could stay on the floor in big spots and, and hold up defensively because that was always going to be the question about him. Just later on, he could not make enough shots and he could not hold up defensively, uh, especially if you go back to Game 7. Yeah, and, and he was pretty effective in the paint too. Like He would catch the ball, pump fake a couple of times, get his defender off of him, make some really hard shots. I think he got fouled in the fourth quarter, made a couple of free throws that sent Houston to that first overtime. Like It might have been... That fourth quarter or that overtime period where he hit those two free throws, but but whatever the case, like he was, as you said, he was good enough to play in crunch time defensively. Um, and at, at that time, like the Rockets just desperately needed this floor spacing. And we, you talked about him hitting five, hitting three pointers five feet beyond the line. Like this was something unique about that Rockets season, and that this was the first time you saw players really stretching the court in that way, other than Steph Curry. Like Steph Curry was already doing that, but Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon came in to the Rockets, and you know they talk about in training camp how they were just hitting like three pointers, like from th- like three point three feet behind the line in practice, and Mike D'Antoni noticed that and asked them to do it in the game. And they started doing it in games, and it stretched the floor to another level. That you know, it's pretty commonplace in the NBA. You see, you see players stretch out that far, but back then it w- it was pretty unique. And you know, you you see some of that in this game. You see the distance that you know, again, step back three pointers from Ryan Anderson. He's stepping back, getting further away from the basket, and that's something that those two players were doing that not a lot of players were doing at the time. Well, and when Curry would do it, it would be off the dribble. I mean, these guys were spotting up from way out there. And you notice where on the floor they're at. They're not in the corners. I mean, these guys were taking most of their threes from above the break. And that obviously spread out the floor even more. And you even look to you know, practice, and they have a different three-point line set up in practice where they will have another three-point line that they'll have drawn out about three feet behind the actual three-point line. I mean, that they, they're the ones that really started it, and it worked out for them, and they – Again, that was a Mike D'Antoni thing where they started to unlock certain things, and you know they did stuff that was you know a little crazy, but it worked. It worked for them, and it, it's a big reason why you know, they were. I think they finished second in offensive efficiency that year because of that ability to be able to shoot threes. And people talk about Mike D'Antoni really revolutionizing the game in twenty six and two thousand six. Like he was doing like new sh- back in two thousand sixteen. Just watching this game, it, it one thing struck me is like. The amount of pick and roll these guys were running back in 2016-17, like, it's just absurd the the amount they were running compared to what they run now. Like, they don't run any pick and roll. 
And in this game, they were just pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. Clint Capella would would set the screen, and even if even if the end result wasn't a James Harden layup or a Clint Capella dunk, that pick and roll resulted in an open three or an open layup for somebody. And you know the the, the, the diversity in their play style really stuck out to me. Well, and, and that's just they've had to go away from pick and roll just because of how teams have defended them. Mm-hmm. Where you can't really run a James Harden pick and roll when he's being double teamed at half court. Um, and when you have guys that are playing behind Harden, you can't really run a pick and roll either. So, you know, teams have adjusted, and that's a big reason why Clint Capella became expendable because they they weren't able to run that same sort of offense. The offense had changed so significantly, and also uh, things had changed against the Warriors, where the Warriors had figured out how to defend that pick and roll, which is why uh, Clint Capella wasn't you know quite as uh, effective in that spot either. Um, it's interesting just to see how the war- how differently the Warriors defended things back then compared to now. Teams also had no choice but to switch everything on Harden. That was a pretty effective defense to stop pick and roll. And that's you know that's another reason the Rockets went to isolating James Harden so much because you have these two different ways of defending Harden. You know, d- the throwing the hard doubles or switching everything, and he has no choice but to isolate every you know every time down the court. You notice if you if you go on Basketball Reference, you'll notice a swift drop off from this season downwards with Harden's assist, and that's because of the way teams defend him, and you know the fact that he can't he can't run that over and over and over again, and he'll still get a bunch of assists per game. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that the the ball is obviously not in his game, in his hands all all the time like it is in this season because he has capable ball handlers around him now, um, that's because of the way you know. The Rockets have built their roster around him, and the way teams are defending him. The, the reason his assist total was dropping, it's because of these two things. I, I think that you'll notice that his turnovers have probably gone down too since that year. And again, that's also he doesn't have the ball as much. Um, yeah, but he, he has been defended differently, and he has adjusted. And he's obviously, I think you have the numbers in front of you. I guarantee you, his three point attempts have gone way up since the, in the last couple of years since that season. Yeah, yeah, they have. By the way. Sam Decker in this game. It is just funny watching Sam Decker because I just remember. Yeah, I, I I just remember how high I was on Sam Decker because I'm watching this game and he's just constantly active off the ball. Like he's he got a crucial rebound, passed it to Eric Gordon uh, for three in overtime. He's playing crunch time in overtime for the Rockets. He's constantly cutting and and like just beating his defenders to the rim. And like this might have been like. Yeah, this might have been like the peak of Sam Decker, not only as a as a rocket, but as a player in the NBA. Like I don't think it gets even be- like any better than this. He had like eleven points, eight rebounds, two steals, four or nine from the field, two or three from three point range. Like, really good Sam Decker game. I still don't quite understand why he wasn't better. Um, no, me too. I, I love he, uh, Sam Decker. He, he had he had the tools. He, he wasn't a consistent enough shooter. Uh, defensively, he would make mistakes and wasn't always in the right spot. Uh, but it did feel like that he was going to have a really good career, and you know he's bounced around. I think he's in the league now. I mean, he went from um, the Rockets to being part of the Chris Paul trade. Then he went to Cleveland and Washington, and I, I don't think he's anywhere right now. So um, I think it's, it's disappointing that his career hasn't hasn't been better because he had the tools, and he's what you're looking for. I mean, he's six foot eight, a wing, athletic, could switchable, and it just hadn't worked. And yeah, I thought that he was. That was another thing that I noticed in that game is that not only was he on the floor, but he was good. And you wonder how his career changes. Remember, um, I think he fractured his wrist at the end of that regular season in Phoenix, and really couldn't play in the playoffs. Uh, he he was hurt that entire first series, and then I think he was available for. Actually, you know what? I think I don't even think he was available for the Spurs series. I think he's still in the cast, and it, I have to go back and double check. I don't know if he played in that postseason. Um, but yeah, he, he, that his career just hadn't gone the way that I thought it would. And remember, he was hurt too his entire rookie season um, when he had the back surgery. Yeah, I mean, he he was just so smart. Like for for a young player, he just knew where to be. Um, and that's what really stuck out to me. Like, I don't think like skill wise, like he really stuck out much more than any other player. Like he was just like you know, at, like in terms of skill level, he was you know not much better than any other player that came out of the draft. But it was just. His IQ, like he knew when to cut, where to cut. In summer league, that really stuck out to me. I think that's really why he got he earned minutes with Mike D'Antoni so fast, like because he knew where to be. And 
in terms of the floor spacing, it was never really compromised because not only was he like just okay as a shooter, but he was just constantly moving, and it always kept defenders off their toes. And even if they didn't respect him, he would make them pay. Well, he did play in that postseason. He played in four games in that playoffs. But I mean, he shot thirty-two percent from three that year, um, and his shooting has just kind of cratered ever since. But there were times where he looked like he would be an adequate three-point shooter, and you thought that if he worked on it enough, that would be something that worked for him. But man, it never, it never did. I mean, he played in a total of what forty-seven games last year, and he he's been out of the league this year. So that's. It's disappointing, and that's essentially the last first-round pick the Rockets have made. The Rockets haven't made a first-round pick since. Yeah. Another another young player that stuck out to me, Montrez Harrell. In this game, 13 points, 10 rebounds, uh, a block. He was like 6 of 10 from the field. Yeah, 6 of 10 from the field. And he had this one dunk where he he just took off from, like, not the free-throw line, but that little semicircle under the free-throw line. He took off from there, and he just like he just looked like an absolute one. It was like an and-one dunk. And, like, this was kind of the first spurts. Like, this season, you started to see some of the spurts you would see uh, going. You're, you're seeing this year with the Clippers. Like, he just, he was just a monster in terms of the dunks. Like, he he was relentless attacking the basket. I thought you saw some of that as a rookie. He just, again, he just didn't get a lot of opportunities. Um, he was the third big guy on this team. Uh, he actually got a lot of playing time when Clint Capella got hurt. That was a big reason why he played as much as he did that season. Um, and then they were obviously going to be careful with Nene's minutes. Uh, he he is he was then what he is now. He's just a little bit more consistent with it now, and he he rebounds a little bit better. I mean, I know he had the ten rebounds in that game, but half of them were offensive rebounds. And the the big issue with him is that he was a terrible defensive rebounder. I think he's got a little bit better with that. I think defensively he's been a little bit better. But man, he was always athletic. I mean, he was always going to be able to finish. And he was always going to play harder than everyone else on the floor, and that never changed. He had just great hands. Like I remember, I remember that being something I wrote about him when he was younger. Like he just had like unbelievable hands at like catching the basketball for his height. Like he just always connected, and like off the bench as a second lob threat when Clint Capella was on the floor, just it was a really it was a really good fit for this specific Rockets team. Yeah, I, you you wonder if he would have ever seen that, you know if. You wonder how his career is different if he's not put in that trade. Um, you wonder if he would have developed here because I know they were trying to get him to shoot three pointers. That was I, I remember the pregame before that last playoff game against the Spurs. He was taking he was taking threes, and it's not something that he's added with the Clippers. So I, I'm curious if, if they would have kept him going in that direction with threes. Um, another game, another thing that that I noticed from this game that kind of foreshadows what the Rockets do uh, going forward. Clint Capella, only 24 minutes uh, against the Warriors. And you notice a lot in these Warriors matchups. You'll see Clint Capella barely crack crack 30 minutes. And it's because in crunch time, it's just really hard to play traditional big men against the Warriors. And, you know, I, I you wonder if, like, that you the Rockets saw some of that, like, in the, in the Warriors series. And that potentially went into what they thought, you know, their logic in the... Robert Covington trade like they in, against the best teams he just doesn't seem to play a ton of minutes not to say that he's not really really good but against some of the best teams they just don't seem to play him in crunch time very much and I start you, this game kind of foreshadows that I think that's I think that was strictly a Warriors thing because I do think that and part of that was just Draymond Green and Draymond Green just taking you out of what you want to do because he's just so good but I think that was one of the Warriors. I want to look and see what he did um, in the playoffs series that weren't against the Warriors, because I well, he was he very good. Played. But but what I'm saying is, when you get into the upper echelon of the playoffs, when you get deep, like it's not just the Warriors. Other teams are going to take you out of your normal sets. And if when the Rockets get taken out of their normal sets, Clint Capella really gets taken out of his normal sets because he is more of a function of the offense than anybody else. Um, let's see. So San Antonio. You know what? He did not play a lot of minutes against Oklahoma City in that postseason. And he wasn't playing a ton of minutes anyways that year. I think he was playing 24 minutes a game. Um, But against San Antonio, he was at 29 minutes. Uh, At the end of that series, he was playing 34, 35. There was a 32. Um, Let's see, the playoffs in 18. Let's see. Hurry up and load. Um Minnesota, 31 minutes. Utah is playing 33 minutes. I think it was more matchup. 
And if you played against a team that had a uh, had a, a, a normal traditional big, then he was going to be on the floor. If he's playing Rudy Gobert, he's going to be on the floor. If he's playing Draymond Green, then he's not because against Utah he was thirty three minutes, and then the Warriors he was twenty eight point six. So I think that was more of a matchup thing, I, and I think that's. What makes the Warriors, that's what made that team so tough, is that they took you out of what you wanted to do. And there just aren't a lot of teams that could do that with them. And you, know, you always hear Mike D'Antoni say, we're going to play our style, and we're just going we're, we're to make, we're going to, the other team is going to change what they do. We're not going to change what we do. <laughs> well, the Warriors were the one team that actually took them out of what they wanted to do. And that's just a credit to how good they were. Yeah, I mean, this was a double overtime game where Clint Capella played 24 minutes. Like, that's... That like that that stuck out to me, and like you you go you look back to the overtime and double overtime period. I don't think I, I saw much of him, if anything. But yeah, I mean, yeah, this was like one of those. It just foreshadows every single matchup the Rockets have with the Warriors going forward. Like Clint Capella is just not a major part in that, and a lot a lot of that, as you said, is because of Draymond Green. But I mean, just the versatility and intelligence of some of these teams as you advance to the playoffs, it just it just gets harder to play traditional basketball. And get and play, uh, you know, have that lobbed around the floor because you just it's it's more beneficial to put floor spacing threats out on the floor as opposed to lob threats. And uh, I I just think that when the when the Rockets look back at these games, I, I I do think you know even in some of their latter matchups against the Warriors, the the Rockets look at how effective is Clint Capella in some of these matchups and and how. Uh, how much does he play? And and I think they did they use some of that in their calculus in this Robert Covington trade. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I, I don't know. We'd have to ask Daryl that, and nobody's had a chance to ask Daryl that. So yeah. uh, I'd be I'd be interested in if, if they if that was more. It feels like it was more of a this season a reaction to Russell Westbrook. But yeah, but that could be um, certainly the case. That it's know, part he's a little of it, yeah. limited in, in his skill set. Yeah, I mean, well. well it's it's. I think most of it is definitely the, the Westbrook thing, as you mentioned. But I think this was definitely. I mean, it's hard not to that for that to come into your thinking. There, it's much maligned the way they went out against the Spurs. But I never had them beating that specific Spurs team. Like I thought that Spurs team was just way better than the Rockets. And you know that series made it look much closer than they were. But that Spurs team just felt like a like they won like sixty something games that year. The Spurs did. And the Rockets were still trying to get into the rhythm. They never had the second superstar, and there. And I, I thought that was a big difference. And I thought, you know, they needed they needed Chris Paul to get to where they wanted to go. And you know, like they they occasionally had these upsets against these great teams, like they did in this game, this December first matchup. But yeah, this is this is definitely something you notice against the better teams. Like they just, you know, they run they start to run out of options as the game goes along, and. It can't be just all James Harden. Like you need that second guy. Like he shot eight for twenty three in this game, and you kind of wonder if Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon aren't hitting shots the way they are in this game. Like, is this end up? Does this end up being a ten point swing the other way in the Warriors' favor? Yeah, probably. I mean, they did lose the next three games after this. <laughs> yeah, uh, but and I don't think any of those games were particularly close either. Yeah. Um, let's see. I had the other games open, and um, yeah, so. Well, now just refresh. Okay, so they won that game. They lose the next game by 17 in Houston. They lose the next game by seven in Houston, and they lose by nine in Houston. So um, they did not win after that. And let's see, 17, seven is 24. 24 plus nine is 33. So they lost by an average of double digits, 11 points, um, the three games after this. No, yeah, it, it was definitely, like, this was a nice win for Houston, but in general, this was a once-in-a-while kind of win, and you kind of, you always knew in the back of your head, like, if the Rockets, like, this season, the mantra for the Rockets were going into the playoffs with was, like, if we get really lucky and we hit all of our threes, then we can make, perhaps, make a deep playoff run, but if that doesn't happen, we're capped off at, like, a second-round exit, and that's what they ended up being. Well, they, this got them to 12-7, and seven. I, I remember that year, their schedule to start out the season was a nightmare. And so this was their 19th game of the season. It was their 13th road game. So they they played a million road games to start the year. And the fact that they came out of it okay, that's when you realize, okay, this team has something. And then the next day, um, they played in Denver the next night, and they won. And that was one of the big themes of that team was that they played really good in back-to-backs. And part of that was that Harden played every single back to back, and I think they were fourteen and four in the second night of a back to back, and that's what really got them the fourth. That's what got them the three seed, and they for a while looked like they lined up as the second seed, and they went on a bit of a fade towards the end of the season. Ooh, that reminds me of something. This game was in Oakland. 
Like the Rock, the Rockets were never afraid to play in Oracle Arena. I felt like a lot of teams, you know, in that environment, you know, it, I don't think they got scared, but it definitely affected them. And I, I never felt like the Rockets were afraid playing in that arena. Well, they they had gotten torched in that arena though the last two years. You look, they 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 did not win in the regular season. Remember, the Rockets did not win a regular season game against the Warriors in in 14-15 or 15-16 and then they lost in five games in both playoff series so I think they were 2-16 against the Warriors in, over that stretch and this kind of ended that but they, you're right they did start to win it they won at Oracle that year I think they were uh, they won uh, at Oracle in the uh, the first game with Chris Paul uh, the next season they did win a game at Oracle the next year um, in the playoffs they won game what was it game four uh, to, to even the Western Conference Finals, and then they did get the the Harden game. Uh, they, they were never, yeah, you're right. They were never scared of Oracle, uh, but it's not like they played great there. That was really the first time where where they held their own in that building. No, for sure. But I, but I mean, after that point, I never felt like the Rockets were ever afraid of the Warriors and ever afraid of playing in that arena. And uh, it took away some of the invincibility. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. This was a great game. I, I, I would strongly recommend going back and watching the highlights of this game. I, I don't think a lot of Rocket fans remember this game. It took me a while to remember until someone reminded me to go back and watch this game. Like This was a really, really fun game. Just a lot of back and forth. Uh, watching that really, really talented Warriors team go, uh, go up against uh, an underdog Rockets team. You know, it's, it's fair to characterize them as an underdog, even though they won 55 games that year. They were just... Um, really scrappy. They had, they still had Patrick Beverly back then. He he really took on the mantra of their team. He was really their uh, their identity in a lot of ways. And uh, I I just enjoyed watching this team. I, I this was my favorite Rockets team to watch with James Harden. Period. I think. Like I I don't think I enjoyed any Rockets team with James Harden more than this one. Um, I think this was his best season. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I think this I think this is his best season um, as a Rocket. I I, I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy at all. Like I, I, I still think the season after that, just because of how good he was defensively, but I, but I would not. If someone said this was their best season, I, I would not argue. Yeah. 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 No question. Well, uh, Adam, what are you working on? And uh, go ahead and plug it if you can. Uh, so I've already uh, published a couple of uh, running diaries of 1995 playoff games, um, the two elimination games against Utah. So game four against Utah where Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler combined to score 81. And then I also did game five of that series as well. I, I'm not sure when I will have some other games from, from that postseason uh, done. I started on one, but it might be a while before I actually get uh, that I'm actually able to, to post it. But yeah, go check out the, my uh, my uh, running diary, game four and game five of the 95 first running at utahsportsradio610.com. And follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Spolane. Yes. All right, uh, Adam, hopefully we see each other down the line pretty soon here. Hopefully this, this really scary situation's over pretty soon. I'm not counting on it at this point. It's, it's probably going to be, if there's a season, it's probably not going to start for another couple months. Yeah, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter, at NBA. Give us five stars if you enjoyed the podcast. It really helps other people find it. And yeah, guys, good night.